All right, welcome, everyone. Uh, come on in and grab a seat. So, um, you know what? I don't know if I turned this on. I did. Okay. All right. Um, so, Nina and I uh, got back Wednesday from traveling to Poland and Croatia. In Poland, we met with a group of missionaries, senior missionaries in Europe. Uh, it's kind of hard for us still to accept the fact that we're part of the senior missionary group. But... Uh, uh, it's a group of uh, leaders that have been in Croatia or in, in Europe for 25 plus years, uh, and um, Johnny Gravino was there as well uh, with Alex, and essentially discussing personal issues, challenges that are on the field. And so it was a great time, very encouraging. Love these men that we have been able to work with in uh, Europe. Our leader there, a Christian in Germany, and then our colleague. Uh, Todd and Lynn Dick have kind of been promoted to also help oversee uh, European field, uh, just kind of shepherding them. But uh, that was a great time, very encouraging. Um, and our colleague in Germany, our, my, one of my many bosses, uh, is Christian Andreessen. He's German. He's from Berlin. And he helped establish the Eckstein Gemeinde Berlin. And so I thought that they might have coffee cups from the Eckstein Bible Fellowship in Berlin, but they didn't. But they do have notepads. And so I brought Fregel and, and Dave so from the Cornerstone Bi- uh, uh, Church. I don't have gifts for everyone, but uh, Cornerstone Church in Berlin. Um, and uh, same last name as uh, the Eckstein. So I do have one more if someone wants something from Berlin. But... Um, but I didn't even know that, would you like it? Sure. I didn't know that uh, Eckstein meant cornerstone until I met Gail and, and uh, Dave. So then we went to, Pol- uh, to Croatia. And in Croatia, Nina taught for the women's Christmas outreach. Uh, probably about 30 ladies and five unbelievers, five or six unbelievers. So um, I got to share the gospel, purpose of why Jesus came uh, with those ladies. And it was encouraging to see the church, to see the women's ministry continuing on growing. I got to preach last Sunday there in Croatia in our church. And it was just, a it's always a joy to be back there. Um, uh, still kind of an adjustment for us to, uh, uh, be there as guests and not, uh, uh, full time, but, um, but just love to see that, um, the church is growing pretty soon this week. One of the ladies from our church will travel to Kenya and spend a week with the Bakers and with Catherine, and then she and Catherine will fly back here to Georgia and spend, uh, obviously, Catherine will return home and be with her mom and dad. But, uh, and then Ivana will be here with us for Christmas, and so we're excited about that, and just kind of a connection that grew through short-term missions and interests and desires to serve God, and so that's exciting, too, as well. Hopefully, we'll bring Ivana in here, at least introduce her to you guys, unless she decides to go play with the babies or something. Um, so, um, yeah, so that's just a little update on what we've been doing. Got home Wednesday night. I've been sleeping fine. Nina, not so much, uh, but just, uh, dealing with all those kind of changes. Watched the Georgia game on Sunday afternoon, uh, recording. Couldn't stay up all night since I was, uh, preaching the next morning, but watched it. And you know what? It's been a great two years and, uh, we're not going anywhere. So. It is. And, you know, yeah, it is entertainment and fun. All right. So we are back in Galatians 2. 
and I'm just going to go ahead and admit it up front. Tim was having a hard time getting through Galatians 1. I'm having a hard time getting out of Acts. So we're going <laughs> to... We're going to go back to Acts because the first four words or first five words of, uh, of Galatians chapter two are then after an interval, that's four, five, six, seven, of 14 years. And so we've got to know what's going on in those 14 years and we find that out in the book of Acts. So let me read Acts chapter two, uh, verses one through 10, and hopefully in the next two weeks we'll get through this passage. Uh, Paul writes uh, to the Galatians in Acts chapter two. Verses 1 through 10, and he says, Then, after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. It was because of a revelation that I went up, and I submitted to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. But I did so in private, to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in, who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. But uh, this is verse 4. Now we're reading verse 5. I think you're you're in Galatians, right? Yes, Galatians chapter 2. Oh, did I say Acts? I'm sorry. Galatians chapter 2. I'm sure I'm in Galatians. (laughs) Galatians chapter 2, but the background will be in Acts. So let me go back in Galatians chapter 2, verse 1. I thought I said that twice, but I probably said Acts chapter 2 twice. So starting again, Galatians chapter 2, verse 1. You guys can follow along. Then after an interval of 14 years... I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. It was because of a revelation that I went up, and I submitted to them the gospel which I had preached, which I preach among the Gentiles, but I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised, but it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we had in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. Verse 5. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even one hour, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. But from those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship, to the circumcised effectually worked for me, to the Gentiles, and recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. And they only asked me to they only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing we were also eager to do. So this is Galatians and Paul's still continuing to give uh, background 
biography as to why, uh, as it relates to the issue of this book. So Tim, last week, finally got through chapter one, and, and he was, I think he talked a lot about the importance of um, uh, testimony, uh, how even uh, showing how Paul's uh, testimony follows kind of a, a pattern that we, we can all follow. He talked about how, uh, what his life was like before, what is, how he came to know Christ, and then uh, what the purpose or the results of his salvation was. And we all understand what we once were, right? We were all dead in our sins and trespasses. We were devil-led. We were disobedience. We were destined for God's wrath, and God saved us. God worked in our lives, and we thank God for what happened according to his sovereign grace. He made us alive whether we were eight years old, or whether we were 38 years old. Um, he saved us. He's the agent. We were the objects. He, we were saved. Something happened to us. Our state was changed, and God did all this for a purpose. Uh, in Paul's life, the purpose was that he would be the apostle to the Gentiles. For us, uh, God, Ephesians tells us, has planned good works in advance for all of us to do. Um, he wants us to be salt. He wants us to be light. And so in the same way that God has a very, had a very specific purpose for Paul's life, he has a very specific purpose for us. And, um, and really, uh, Paul's purpose, the, to be the apostle, uh, the mouthpiece that would effectively take the gospel to the Gentiles, is really at the heart of, the, of the, this book and one of the reasons Paul uh, wrote this book, he, Galatians is really his defense and clarification of the gospel. Um, he clarified, he affirmed that the gospel was for the Gentiles and that them coming to Christ did not mean that they had to become Jewish. They could come to Christ by faith. They did not have to come through the law. But again, as we've talked about, this was a monumental, uh, earth-shattering, even scandalous idea. It was so hard for the, for the church uh, that started in Jerusalem, predominantly Jewish, to understand and to work through what are the implications. Um, Paul uh, was explaining and explains in Galatians that the gospel is a gospel of grace that is received by faith, and no one is saved by keeping the law. And so the Jewish religion had become so dependent and intertwined with the law that they honestly had a hard time even distinguishing. And, and, on, and again, when we think about it, we don't know, was it faithful Jews that were coming to Christ, or was it Jews who were um, uh, believing in a, a works-based religion who were coming to Christ, right? It was some of both. Secretly, secretly, uh, certainly. Sorry, every once in a while, creation words are going to pop out of my mouth. Um, it was a combination of both. Sometimes I think we think, oh, you know, it's just a bunch of uh, faithful Jews who were looking for the Messiah that were coming to Christ. No, they, God was saving as well religious Jews, people who were putting their confidence in their works. And so it was really hard for them to, to kind of take that baggage immediately and put it aside. Just like 
all of us when we came to Christ. We didn't immediately just solve all of our, our problems, our issues. Um, you people, you who are involved in counseling, you know that sometimes it's a process to help people uh, understand, re-evaluate um, things, and, and to, to work through issues. And so um, this issue of, the, of what is our relationship to the Old Testament law was very, very significant in the early church, and it's still significant today. We still uh, deal with that. Yes, Quinn. Well, to be in the field, exactly. Decide to come and check in with the church leaders to say, you know, here's what I've been doing. Here's what I'm all about. Well, Paul will tell us why he waited so long. In part, in part, and then we're going to look in uh, Acts to see what was going on. And this is another thing, and and why I think it's important that we go back to Acts. When we read the Bible for ourselves, we're, we read it and we think, you know, we go from chapter to chapter and we think, well, this happened the next day or this happened the next day. And it's really hard for us to understand how many years, how many months were passing between chapters, what was going on. And so comparing these different uh, uh, accounts uh, gives us insight into, you know, this wasn't from one day to the next. This was years that were passed. This was uh, slow developments. It was, uh, we'll see about seven years after Pentecost before the the Gentiles really started coming into the church, the outreach started in the church. And it's really fascinating to see how that all began uh, and how God was working. So we'll, we'll come back to that. But that's a, that's a great question. Um, so Paul is writing Galatians to protect the pure, the singular gospel, He's writing to clarify it. It's by grace, through faith in Christ. And he says, who loves me, who loved me, who laid his life down for me, and who lives in me. Um, we're not saved by keeping the Old Testament law. We live by faith. But we do live by a new law. And, and that's something Paul also uh, is dealing with. Just because we're not saved by the law doesn't mean we're a lawless people. We live by the law of Christ and the Spirit of God produces fruit in us. We'll see in Galatians chapter 5. And we could go back and forth um, on this all day long. Uh, And that's a tension we all deal with. We're we're saved by faith, but what is the implication of that and how does that look? Um, uh, Sometimes we struggle with um, relation in relation to our own hearts, our consciences. Sometimes we struggle in making a sound judgment about uh, other believers. Sometimes we struggle in knowing how to um, counsel other people. Uh, what, and then sometimes we're fighting with our own self-righteousness, right? We look at our lives and look at other people's lives. And, and this whole issue of works and fruit and what is the law and how we live by the law. Uh, how do we judge a tree by its fruit and yet also know that we are saved by grace, not by works. Uh, saved by faith, not by doing, keeping uh, standards. Um, that's a that's a challenge we all struggle with throughout our Christian lives, and so um, Galatians will help us with that. Yes, John. A famous uh, uh, pastor said, "If there's no fruit, there's no root." Mm-hmm. So, with respect to the root, yeah, there there has there has to be fruit, no doubt, and all we all agree with that. But then. 
where is our confidence? In our performance? In the fruit? Or um, do we rest <laughs> that there is a root? Right. Uh, well, yeah, uh, depending on where we're at in that whole process and from which perspective we're, we're talking. It, it's, it's, not, um, it's not an easy struggle, right? Um, we know that by faith in Christ, we're acceptable to God. We know that. We believe that. And therefore, our performance, our standards, our personal practice and righteousness doesn't enhance that standing. And at the same time, our failure, our inconsistencies, and even our disobedience doesn't endanger that standing. But that's hard for us to accept because we're so prone. (laughs) With a little bit of encouragement, we're very prone to put our confidence in ourselves and our performance. And so Paul is, is dealing with all these things, but it all starts with the gospel and what we believe, um, how we believe we're saved. And then by the same way we're saved, we are as well sanctified. So we'll get into all that, but we got to get into chapter two. Um, so chapter two continues the discussion of chapter one. And in addition to providing a, a good example of a testimony, Paul has a very... N- a clear purpose in giving this background information. And I think uh, I was listening to things a little bit uh, quicker speed. So everyone sounded a little bit like Alvin and the Chipmunks. But I think it was Neil who pointed out last week uh, that uh, that the reason Paul's going through this background information is be- to, to support his point that this is not my gospel. I didn't come up with this. I got this directly from Jesus Christ. Uh, I don't know if you remember making that comment. I think it was you. But you want to read uh, chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, because that's the head of this uh, discussion. Uh, or anybody, who, whoever has it. Chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. We're still in Galatians, not We're in Galatians, yes. <laughs> I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of and so one of the reasons uh, to start answering Quentin's question that Paul waited so long is he was confident in his gospel because he was confident in the source of his gospel, right? And, um, and he makes it a point, and it strengthens his point against these false teachers. Look, I didn't get this from anybody. I didn't make this up. I was opposed to this. But I got this gospel, this message directly from Jesus Christ. My gospel is accurate because it's God's gospel. I didn't get it from any man, and this is my proof. And then he goes through his uh, testimony. He says, before I was saved, I was on my way to Damascus to kill followers of Jesus. And Jesus himself appeared to me, and then Ananias came and explained the gospel to me. And so I want to back up a little bit and look at Paul's state of mind. We know what his resume was, right? He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was a student of Gamaliel. He was uh, proceeding, uh, advancing in, in Judaism. But what was his state of mind? So now we're going back to Acts. Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3.
whoever wants to read this uh, can feel free to jump in and go for it. Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Jonathan, you want to read it for us? Sure. Thanks. And Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering the house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Okay, great. Thank you. So, uh, your translation says Saul... Uh, approved of putting uh, Stephen to death. Uh, my translation says he was in hearty agreement. And then what does verse 3 sound, uh, not to be too morbid, but what does verse 3 sound like to you? When it says that he was ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging men off men and women, and putting them in prison. It sounds like Nazis. It sounds like October 7th, right? Yeah. Not too long ago, uh, how uh, aggressive he was. So he was, um, he was a, a willing party. He wasn't someone pressed in the service. He was uh, looking for a fight. Uh, look over in chapter 9, verse 1. Again, Saul's mindset. It says, Now Saul... Still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. So this guy's full of hate, full of anger. He's aggressive. He's a violent person, despite all of his theological, religious training. Um, I don't know if any of you have uh, Kenneth Wiest's expanded uh, New Testament translation. That's kind of an old uh, tool that a lot of people don't aren't aware of, but he he's a Greek scholar who just tries to take all that the Greek means and put it, regardless of what it sounds like, in one in, into his translation. And this is how he translates verse one. And Saul, still breathing in a personally produced atmosphere of threatening and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, having gone to the chief priest asked from him as a personal favor letters to Damascus to the synagogues. So here's Saul. He's in Jerusalem. And he's, he's trying to figure out where is, where's the gospel? Where's, where's this new movement called Christianity? These followers of Christ. Where is it prospering? I want to go there and stomp it out. I want to squash it. That was his, his plan. Right, it was a threat. Right, so yeah. he thought he was doing the Lord's work. Oh, sure, right? yes, Going yeah, yeah. And squashing this exactly you know, false teaching. Exactly, yeah. Not. And to, so he's totally justified. Yeah. He, he's he's he, he's like all of us when we're angry. It's a righteous anger, you know. This is this honoring to God. Yes, essentially a permission. Yeah, he, exactly. He's getting letters to uh, to to go and freely. Uh, attack. So, um, in fact, it's possible that the Jews in Damascus had had sent to Jerusalem, and they said, "Look, we got a we got a problem up here. Uh, our synagogues are infested with these Jesus followers, and and people are are leaving. They're causing problems. Can you send someone up here to help us?" And they're like, "You know what? We got just the guy. We got the guy, and we'll send him. And you know, Saul's happier than you know a Chick Fil A worker." 
to serve you chicken and fill your iced tea. He's like, with pleasure. I'll go. It's my pleasure. I don't know. Y'all received the Russians at Secret Service. Germans at SS. Were they a cadre that were designed to go out and be dispatched, if you will? I think Saul was certainly dispatched, without question. I don't know how many others there might be, but the whole issue of spying, spies in the church, you know, we used to. When we first got to Croatia, we'd have a guest come into the church, which wasn't common. And, you know, Mishka's always a pastor. Uh, uh, it's like always, you know, we got to pray for new visitors, pray for new faces, you know. Da, da, da. And as soon as someone comes to the church, oh, it might be a spy. And it's like, <laughs> do we want this or do we not want this, you know? Um, and so uh, so that's a for, certainly from communism that was the case. And I think based on the reaction of the brothers to Saul's conversion, I think there was a little paranoia for sure. Uh, so it could quite well be that that was a known uh, tactic. Um, so Saul gets permission, he gets his letters, and he takes off. He's heading to Damascus. Now, according to Google uh, Maps, it would be a 62-hour walk from Jerusalem to Damascus. That would be about eight hours a day for eight days, but you got to include probably two Sabbaths in there. So probably about a two-week um, two trip for him to get up there, right? But he's motivated. He's doing what he wants to do. And we know what happens along the way. Jesus appears to him as he's getting close to Damascus. Uh, Saul is struck blind. And then Ananias has to come. He has to be led to Damascus uh, by hand. And let's look over in uh, chapter 9, verse 31. I'm sorry, 9, 19 of Acts. There's no Galatians chapter 9. 9, 19. Um, second half of uh, verse 19 says, Now for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. And I'll keep reading. 9.19, second half. Acts. Maybe 9. Uh, the second half of, chap- of verse 19. Um, it says, Now for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. And then verse 20 continues. It says, And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. All those hearing him continued to be amazed, and they were saying, Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name, and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. So, um, Saul comes in, uh, took him a little bit longer to get to, to Damascus than they anticipated, and he immediately begins to go around and tell people, Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. I was wrong. And he's so effective. Uh, verse 22 says that he was empowered. He was strengthened. He was growing in strength. And those who uh, were in the church were like, Amazed, it says in verse 21, 
Um, and those outside the church, uh, verse 22 says they were confounded. So one, ver- one word means they were outside of themselves. They couldn't figure out what was going on. And the other uh, is like they were bewildered, like an angry mob that was all stirred up. Um, so a lot of drama. Um, the Jews didn't get what they ordered, right? Um, Paul, uh, Paul saw, uh, arrives and, um, and he's, he's going around emptying the synagogues. <laughs> it's like, he's, he's helping the Jesus followers. We, we ordered a spicy chicken sandwich and we got a ham sandwich. What's up with this? You know, this is not what we wanted. And somewhere in this period, it was, we've already talked about, uh, Saul went to, uh, Arabia, which is in Lebanon, I'm sorry, in modern day Jordan, uh, to the east of, of Israel. That would be, uh, over here somewhere. Uh, let's see here, over here somewhere, uh, Nabatea. And then comes back to Damascus. We don't know what percentage of time he was in Arabia, what percentage of time he was in, uh, Damascus, but total, it was about three years. And, and Tim mentioned that he probably went there to rest, uh, went there uh, certainly to get his mind right, to kind of sort things out. I think he was probably there studying the Old Testament uh, passages and thinking, uh, what, how did I get this wrong? And, and he's coming, he comes back to Damascus with this new understanding of all these prophecies and how Christ actually fulfilled them. Now, I think it's also possible that during that time, that he had visions, uh, like um, uh, visits from Jesus and even tutoring sessions. You think, well, where do you get that from? Well, uh, first of all, we read in Galatians chapter 1 that Paul's insistent, I got my gospel from Jesus Christ himself. All right? We don't have a lot of information on what was, he said in Damascus, a very short uh, uh, account of that. So I think it's quite possible Jesus met with Paul. I was like, but, but that's kind of weird, uncommon. Well, actually, it's not. <laughs> Paul uh, later recounts that or in, in the book of Acts, there's six separate times where Paul has a vision. Uh, four of those times, it's a conversation with Jesus Christ himself. And then later in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and 12, he talks about a, another vision that he probably, he most certainly had uh, between his two visits to Jerusalem that's talked about in Galatians chapter 1 and 2. So this was not an uncommon experience for uh, Paul, and this was so critical that, uh, and, and Paul's so insistent, this is where he builds his argument, that I think it's quite likely that Jesus personally, to some degree or another, tutored and explained and taught uh, Paul, the gospel and uh, how all these uh, things uh, held together in the uh, Old Testament were fulfilled in, in his life. And so um, so we have this short, we have his conversion in a short time in Damascus and then a trip to the desert, uh, Arabian desert, and he comes back to Damascus and, and Saul is just emptying the synagogues. And so the Jews are in Damascus, they're like, we got to take this guy out. Uh, the guy we requested, <laughs> um, we got to send home in a body bag. We, we just, he's, 
he's got to be stopped. And um, we're told that, that Paul escapes. He escapes in a basket. So uh, and there's actually more information about this in 2 Corinthians. It says that the, the guy who was in charge of this region, uh, so evidently he had some success down here as well, preaching the gospel to the point that it caused problems. He was helping them in Damascus, and they, were, they had soldiers watching the gates. So, so they had to let Paul out a window in the city wall so that he could bypass the gates and so he could get away. Uh, so they were, it, was a, it was a conspiracy together with the leaders to get rid of Paul. Now, again, this is, this, we are in Galatians in, in the phrase, in a period of about 14 years, but we have to get all that information from, I know it seems like we're in Acts, but we're really in Galatians. So I'm giving you the background information. But this is fascinating to me. Look at uh, Acts chapter 9. This is my first time to go through Galatians, but it's also my first time to go through this section of, of Acts. And so this is a lot of, it's been a lot of fun for me to, to study this. So look at Acts chapter 9. Um, this first trip that's referred to in Galatians chapter 1 uh, to Jerusalem. So uh, verse 25, chapter 9 says, He was led out through an opening in the wall, lowered in a large basket. And it says in chapter, 20, uh, chapter 9, verse 26, We came to Jerusalem. He was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. So uh, to Quentin's point, probably a common tactic. Here's a guy, a little bit, skittish you know uh don't know that that his uh motives are are sincere but barnabas uh being the guy that he is always encouraging um takes hold of him brings him in gives him uh, an opportunity to speak to the disciples share his testimony and uh, explain how, how bold he is in christ and we see that in verse uh 27 and then verse 28 says and he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. But when the brethren learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. So, who are the Hellenistic Jews? Greek-speaking Jews. Jews who had made a movement toward pagan culture, right? And that makes sense that that would be Paul's area of, of uh, expertise and effectiveness, right? Because he's the apostle to the Gentiles. The Gentiles, we, as we've seen, they were not necessarily just kind of, you know, pagans who didn't know anything walking around the street. These were the Gentiles in the church, the proselytes, the God-fearers, who um, Paul was effectively reaching out to. And so he was reaching out to the Gentiles who made a step toward Judaism. And he was also effective in reaching out to the Jews who had made a step toward paganism, right? But, again, so effective in a period of two weeks that they conclude, we got to get rid of this guy. This guy is, is a threat to us. Um, and so the brethren learned of it. Spies in the church, spies everywhere, right? And uh, 
and brought him down to Caesarea, sent him away to Tarsus. Galatians chapter 1 says that they, he went to uh, Syria and Cilicia. So, Syria and Cilicia is the region. Tarsus is the city. Tarsus is the hometown. So, they sent him home. Okay? But now, someone read for me Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Okay, now go back and read the end of 30 and the beginning of 31 again. They brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. So the church throughout all of Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace. All right, what do you see here? Right. So after the conversion, they packed him off to Tarsus, and then Christ started the church at a time of peace. And, so. and growth, right? This is fascinating to me. Exactly. So the first word of, of verse 31 is so, or therefore. Consequence. Consequence of sending Paul off to Tarsus, back home, getting him out of town, was... That they had peace, and they enjoyed growth, and they prospered. Uh, where? Well, from the north to the south, from the south to the north, Caesarea in the south, and Tarsus in the north. Well, but what does the verse say? Took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So right. So, what does verse thirty-one say? Where is the church growing and prospering? Judea, Galilee, 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 and Samaria. Where's that? What's that? That's Israel proper. So, and, and this, is, this is amazing to me. So, you get rid of Paul, and the church in Israel grows. Um, and there's, a, there's no doubt, there's a consequence here. Um, this is God's sovereignty, right? It's, it's, it's amazing when you think about this. God's sovereign plan. The most effective, I think we would all agree, the most effective evangelist, church planner, uh, uh, gospel preacher, maybe in the history of the church, is moved out of the way and the church prospers and grows. The church had a more effective ministry in Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. Uh, Pastor John uh, MacArthur says this, The church soon discovered that it was almost as bad as having Saul with them as it was against them. He quickly stirred up a hornet's nest, and no doubt in the minds of some, as much as for their own good as for Paul's, they sent him off. Now, how many times have we thought, boy, if only... This person will get saved. Man, wouldn't that be glorious? Wouldn't that be great? It would be such a boon to the church if, if this person gets saved. But why do you think they sent him to Caesarea first? Uh, well, they got him out of uh, Just to get, him out of get him out of town. And then from Caesarea, 
probably uh, a boat ride rather than walking. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. Cesare is a huge port. Yeah. So, um, but um, what? Uh huh. Sure. Exactly. Right. Exactly, but he also uses different gifts, right? That is true. And it, and this is what, I think this is a point I, I want to make. I, I can only imagine the church in Jerusalem had Saul lined up for one after another evangelical or evangelistic, you know, outreach. <laughs> We're going to have you on Monday night. You're going to be teaching here, and then you're going to preach in the this square, and then you're going to go over this point. We'll go out in the village. I mean, this is what anybody would do, right? That had a, a, a Paul Washer comes to Croatia. We're going to take you here. We're going to take you there. You're going to preach, right? Um, and the, it, it didn't work out like they planned. <laughs> so they sent him home, and God blessed that decision. And there's always this tension, right, between aggressive evangelism and temperance and restraint. Um, there's the guys who are the church militant, the street preachers, the guys who are going to share the gospel with everybody that comes across their path. And then there's the guys who are the friendship uh, evangelist people, right? The, uh, the salt and light guys. Sure. Direct by the relationship with Christ. I mean, you would think that, I mean, even, even, even a new elder can't be a recent, I mean, well, I mean, it has to be a mature convert. Maybe you needed time to. Right. Time to sure. And, and, and there's definitely an element of saved on Saturday, preaching on Sunday kind of. Uh, at least in the evangelistic uh, point of view, it seems like that way in Damascus. He he just went at it immediately. But we don't know what the nature of his preaching was. We don't know what the position. Maybe he was just an enthusiastic person. But yeah, he needed some seasoning. They wanted to get him off to to uh, Tarsus, study, uh, develop. But it's not like they sent him to a church in Tarsus, right? <laughs> That's it's it's hard for us to kind of understand. It, it, we can't think of it the way. Well, let's send this guy off to seminary, let him season for a while. Well, there's not a place to send him, right? But, but yes, he needed uh, to get some distance. Neil, what did you want to say? I was just thinking about, you know, Paul was what, he was like one of the most smart Jews of the day. Mm-hmm. Right? So, when I think of seasoning, it's a really good point to that. But I think, I mean, he already knew the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Right. And he, I mean, he probably knew those scriptures better than anyone. Mm-hmm. But he had to, the seasoning process was, like you said earlier, he's, he had to go back and read it and say, man, I missed all this. Right, right. And so it took 14 to 17 years, but but God produced a tool, right, that would protect the gospel from the intrusion of works, of the law. But 
but it, it might have been necessary for him to, to cook stew that long, right? Um, but again, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, do you think, too, on that stewing that mm-hmm. long, as it took Paul maybe several years of being personally discipled, studying mm-hmm. the Old Testament, then when he appears, you know, when he, not appears, but when he comes mm-hmm. and he teaches these things and he's preaching boldly in Damascus, he's confronting the Hellenists and he's confronting the, so do you think that in the Lord's, you know, letting these churches stew, mm-hmm. once the Lord moves Paul out, the truth that he taught is, is what then the Holy Spirit, because when it says then they walked in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm work of the spirit to have them stew on the very truth that at first maybe they combated Paul when they when he came into their churches it, and then absolutely the tr- the truth and the spirit is working in the church and then they get on board and then the next thing you know is like Paul's not been here in 2 years but now we finally see it right I mean, it's it's quite possible it will, and 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 this is kind of what I've been trying to communicate for a couple of uh, lessons here we cannot underestimate how earth-shattering this was uh, that that uh, just one second that that um, that they were coming out of Judaism and leaving so much behind uh, Kelly wanted to say something then you couldn't okay Kelly Exactly. Yeah. He knew so much, and just the humbling of that, mm-hmm. that he had working, you know, working on that in his own life. Sure. So that when he did go to these places and preach, that humility. Right. 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 He he struggled with contentment. He struggled with, uh, um, yeah, that. Self confidence and and God worked specifically on those issues and and uh, how would you say? And the church Bruce, Bruce had dealt with them as a mother with a newborn child. The church in in, in Corinth. Say oh, it, in Corinthians, he says I, is is in the same Corinthians. He said that I, I dealt with you as patiently mm-hmm. as tenderly as a as a mother with a Right, it produced in in, in uh, Paul uh, exceptional patience and uh, paternal uh, kind of uh, yeah, uh, character. Quentin, did you want to? When you study history, mm-hmm. sometimes we just go from event to event to event, and we forget culture. Mm-hmm. And each of those nations had a cultural difference, as you're well aware. Sure, sure. Poland certainly different mm-hmm. from Germany. Germany yeah. certainly different from And so he dealing with that with the culture. Just human nature. We sometimes we overlook that as we go from event to event to event. We've got to remember that these were human beings you're dealing mm-hmm. with, and you know people are going to go home. They're going to say that guy was crazier than one. Yeah, this guy's a nutcase. I'm not going to go back there. So you have to factor all that sure. in to appreciate. And history will give you that because right, right, right. I don't think I don't think national culture changes. I think. No, right. And, I and think people don't change quickly, and I right? Don't think human yeah. Very much either, right, right. As we've seen right. Sure. Right, right. 
But going back to my point, too, about giftedness, right? So you got the guys who are like, why aren't you coming down to Atlanta and, and doing street preaching with us? And you got the guys who are like, you know, when I go to witness people in my work, it's you street preachers that are, are a problem, <laughs> you know. And we're rolling our eyes at each other and uh, kind of maybe criticizing each other. And I just think we need to be careful. <laughs> God uses everyone. He uses different kind of giftedness. And we need to be careful about judging, dismissing, critiquing, or criticizing uh, the servant of another, right? God moved Paul with his immense giftedness away, and that was a blessing to the church. But Paul used Paul was used by God in, to take the gospel to a place where it wasn't. And um, hopefully we'll see. What time is it? Uh, maybe not today. Um, hopefully we'll see that there were churches established by Paul. And, and again, what, how in the world does this look? What does this look like? By Paul in, in these areas. Because by the time he leaves for his second missionary journey, he goes to visit churches. Well, who's taking the gospel there? He was there, right? So how does this brand new, you know, uh, very well educated, but still new convert who was, uh, you know, causing problems to the church of Jerusalem, go off to a pagan area. Of course, it's God's sovereignty and his giftedness. But, but on his own, it seems, establish churches. It's amazing what, what God was doing during this time. Now, Galatians chapter 2, verse 1 says, after a period, don't go there. We're not going there. Hold on. I'm just going to quote it. After an interval of 14 years. So again, we said this could be as little as 12 and a half years uh, since his first visit to Jerusalem. So Paul's now ministering on his home turf. He's sent off to Tarsus. Um, And evidently it was an effective ministry, uh, even though it seemed to be certainly isolated from the, from the mainstream of what God was doing in, uh, in Israel proper. Now, Paul says that he was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. That's uh, chapter 1, verse 22 of Galatians. Still unknown by sight. Why is that? Because he hadn't been to that area yet. Right. He had, he had only been to for two weeks in Jerusalem. And there he met Peter, and he met James, uh, James and John. Right. So the, that's those are the people who had direct impact with Paul. And don't forget, they didn't have Facebook. They didn't have Polaroids. So yeah, they they didn't know what Paul looked like. They didn't. Uh, they didn't have Southwest Airlines. They didn't have you know Greyhound. These were long trips. Uh, sending him off to Caesarea was not a small, or, or from Caesarea to Tarsus was not a small thing. Communication was not uh, quick, nimble then as it is now. Chris? Yes. Okay, so Paul's converted on the Damascus Road. Mm-hmm. Goes to Damascus, receives his sight, immediately preaches in the synagogues. Right. Then he leaves Damascus to go to Arabia. Exactly. For three years. Or uh, about. Right. We don't know the percentages of time, but the whole trip to 
Damascus to Arabia and back to Damascus is three years. So he's teaching again in Damascus. Mm -hmm. And that's when the local Jews plot to kill him. Right. And the disciples get him out of town. Exactly. That's when he goes to Jerusalem the first That's time. his first trip to Jerusalem for two weeks. Then he goes back up there, and that's when he starts planting the churches. Right. He goes from Jerusalem uh, to Tarsus and starts planting churches. So this is all during that 14-year uh, period uh, that's referred to in Galatians chapter 2. And during that time, we know at least of one vision that he has uh, that's recorded in Second Corinthians uh, chapter 11 and 12, right? So, yes, thank you for just clarifying that. I know I'm getting into details and jumping around. Did you have a follow-up question? Well, no, it's just that I need to get the timeline. Sure. Because Galatians doesn't really mention right. his going to Arabia. Exactly. And that's what... Well, uh, Galatians only mentions Arabia, but then Acts doesn't say where it is, yes. when that happens, right? That's when, as a trained Hebrew teacher, mm-hmm. which what Paul was as a Pharisee, he probably had the best education of anybody in the country. That's when he really reconciled his education with the gospel message right. that he's preaching now. Most likely. But again, I think he was still learning even as he was in Tarsus. And he had a lot of time. Uh, 14 years is a long time to cook and stew and to grow. Uh, longer than we give the typical uh, seminary student, right? Okay. Um, who starts with probably uh, much less than, than uh, Paul started with. Okay. So I've already mentioned that uh, according to Acts chapter 15, a uh, couple of times there are already churches in this region when, when Paul goes. But we know that that's happening during this time. Paul's establishing uh, churches even before he was commissioned for the fir- as the first time as a missionary, which didn't happen until chapter 13 of, of Acts. Um, let's see. Then... It says he comes to Jerusalem after 14 years. He comes with Barnabas and Titus, according to chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Um, okay, I've got five minutes. Can I get through what I want to uh, say here? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remind you just quickly. Uh, also, what happened during that time, we, and we talked about this, Peter has to go, is sent to Cornelius, right? And one uh, commentary even said this is Peter's preparation for the gospel to go to the Gentiles. So Peter had to get used to this idea. And we talked about how, again, significant this was to the degree that Peter had to have a vision repeated to him three times. Um, then if you note, if you go back and look at Acts chapter 10 and 11, the same story is repeated Twice, almost word for word in those two uh, passages, two chapters. And, and just keep this in mind. When the Bible takes time to repeat something in detail like that, the paper was expensive. There was uh, parchment, whatever they're writing on. This was expensive material. To take the time to repeat something word for word twice within two chapters, it's just telling us how important, how significant 
this was. There's visions on both sides. Cornelius gets a vision. Peter gets a vision. Then they go. And what happened immediately after? Who remembers? As soon as Peter gets back to Jerusalem, what happens? The Jews confront him. Say, hey, we heard you ate with Gentiles. And, and Peter even tells Cornelius, as a guest in his home, you guys know it's unlawful to me, for me to be here. Now, there's no law in the Old Testament that says a Jew cannot eat with a Gentile. But because of dietary restrictions, it just made hospitality very, very complicated. Okay? So, he comes back to Jerusalem. Unbelievable uh, mission trip, whatever you want to call it. He preaches spontaneous salvation, visible Speaking in tongues, they immediately, without hesitation, uh, baptize them. And Peter goes back, gives a report. But before he can even get to his report, hey, what's going on? We heard you were down there visiting with Gentiles. Now, there's strong tradition that they ask a couple of questions here. Luke doesn't record it, but I'm almost certain that they followed it up with, what was it like? Did they have bacon? <laughs> Is it as good as they say? But we don't know that for sure. Okay, they were outside of their minds. They're, what are you doing? Visiting with Gentiles. This is impossible. This is, this is scandalous. Um, and Peter repeats the whole story again. And it says they quieted down. And they said, well then. The gospel has come to the Gentiles. This is hard to accept, but the evidence was there. I couldn't deny it. Seven years since Pentecost. And Paul, as the... Paul's, Paul's saved now. He's been appointed by Christ himself to be the apostle to the Gentiles. But Peter himself had to be prepared for this. Peter had to kind of open the door. There was still some kind of... Um, seniority, you know, uh, that was going on there. Okay, we're still in Galatians chapter 2, but we got to go. We got to stop. Um, still a couple of things I want to point out that happened during that time. And that's why I put this uh, map on the on the screen, but we'll come to that next week, okay? So a lot of information. The rest of, Once we understand all this, the rest of chapter 2 and that visit to Jerusalem is a lot, a little bit more, uh, a little easier to follow. But one thing, just again, uh, can't emphasize it enough. I've, I've spent a lot of time on this topic, but this was a big deal. The change that was taking place in uh, these believers' minds was very hard for them to accept. Uh, probably harder than anything your family has gone through when you got, uh, you went through or. Uh, it's just, it was a mind-blowing, uh, earth-shattering situation. But it's essential to the gospel. It, it keeps the gospel pure. It keeps the gospel from being added to works. And today, we're still struggling with that, adding our own works, adding our own self-righteousness, uh, our own standards. Uh, Christians should look this way, you know. Um, absolutely. We believe in lordship salvation. We believe in fruit. No fruit, no root. But we had to be very careful. It's very easy 
to slip into get right and get saved rather than believe in Christ Jesus and he will transform your life. Well, uh, sometimes, and even the best preachers, the gospel, best gospel preachers will fall into this kind of habit, get wound up, and it's like, stop smoking, stop drinking, stop doing this, that, and the other, and get saved. So and and it's... I don't think it was necessarily that. I, I don't... Uh, I, I don't think it was. I don't think they were thinking it's man centered versus God centered. I think they were just thinking, they're they're what is necessary. Okay, we we sometimes will discuss what's what is what do you what's the minimum you have to believe to be a Christian? All right, we discuss that. Um, but they, they were struggling with what's the minimum you have to do. How do you differentiate the gospel from your traditions? Exactly. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. None of us understand what kind of influence our traditions really have on us. It is hard to distinguish between our traditions, our baggage, the things we carry. And you know what? This church is growing. There's a lot of different traditions uh, in this church. Uh, I grew up in a Baptist church, a bunch of Baptists. They were Baptists by life, you know. Uh, Croatians, you either grew up in the church Second, maybe third generation. No, not a lot of third generation. A lot, maybe second generation, or you're from the Catholic. Maybe some true blue communists, you know, but not a lot of those in the church. But we got a big mixture here, and it requires patience, humility, understanding, communication, and not reacting. Right? We just need to be patient and kind to each other. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we can learn from each other. Absolutely, absolutely. And we just need to, just in the same way we're sanctified, mind, spirit, emotions, soul, uh, uh, we need to sanctify our traditions. Uh, we, mean they, we may need to put some aside, uh, most certainly, but some, we just need to commit those to, to Christ, right? And, and be understanding of each other, right? All right. Thank you. we got to go. Um, Hope, hope that's been helpful.